Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. In this episode, we have Mary Ho, the international executive leader of All Nations. All Nations makes disciples and trains leaders to ignite church planting movements among the neglected peoples of the earth. Mary leads a team that resources, supports, and inspires work in 45 different countries sent out by four different training and sending hubs around the world. We have a great conversation about leading a multicultural, ethnically diverse organization and what it takes to impact the world for Christ. So let's get to the conversation. Mary, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. And I know that you're excited as well. I am very excited to be with you, Joshua Johnson. <laughs> That's good. Uh, I have uh, yeah, some people here at All Nations. They like to say that I tell them that I'm excited all the time. And they they know that if I'm not excited, then there's something wrong. So, so this is going to be a good one. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'd, I'd really like to, you know, you, your childhood uh, growing up uh, around the world kind of fascinates me a little bit. Uh, so tell me a little bit about growing up. Uh, where did you grow up and what was that like for you? Okay, well, I was uh, born in Taiwan, which is um, also known as paradise on earth. <laughs> yeah, uh, It's an island off of um, the coast of China. And then as a baby, we moved to the Philippines. And then when I was seven years old, we moved to Swaziland in Southern Africa. It's now called Eswatini. I had my primary school education there. Then when I was 12, we moved to New Zealand Hmm. where I had junior high and high school education. And then when I was 17, I went to uh, University of Michigan here in the U.S. for college, but mm-hmm. I spent my summers in Indonesia, and <laughs> then I went back to Taiwan, uh, worked my first job, met my husband, John, got married, had our uh, firstborn son, then we moved to Hong Kong, where we worked for three years, and then in the year 2000, we moved here to Kansas City, which is where I am now. Wow, so there's a lot of moving uh, working and living in different countries, what kind of an effect do you think that that has had on your life living in different places around the world? 
Well, it's had both uh, good and bad. I am just very, very grateful that the Lord really pursued me when I was 17, because I mm-hmm. would say by the time I, w- I was in college, I was so messed up mm. from uh, traveling everywhere, a lack of identity, a lack of cultural identity, yeah. um, you know, losing friends all the time. Um, I would say being really overly responsible and entrusted with a lot at a very young age, but the Lord really pursued me at the age of 17. And Mm. I am very, very grateful because um, I think he was able to shape me um, at a very young age. And also he just starts speaking identity into my heart. And he has told me, I have raised you in the nations for the nations. Mm. I have put you as a stake in the nations. So, yeah, so I'm very grateful. So what was that pursuit like? How did you find Jesus? What was that story like? Well, actually, he pursued me because um, I think from the move from Swaziland to New Zealand, I developed an eating disorder called bulimia. Mm -hmm. And I did not know anyone else in the world had it, but it was very severe. By the time I went to college at 17, I was seeing psychiatrists, uh, they were prescribing medication, Mm. but uh, the day I received Jesus and made him my savior and my Lord and master, I was sovereignly set free. And I was Mm. so unchurched. I didn't know Jesus healed, but I remember going back to the dorm and thinking, wow, this is a really good day. I haven't binged or purged uh, for a day. Then, wow, it was, it's two really good days. Wow, it's a really good week. It's a really good month. Mm. And uh, I never pursued the Lord. He really just came after me. And I am so grateful. I remember at 17 picking up the Bible and not being able to put it down because the words just leapt out of the page. Um, And I specifically experienced the overwhelming love of the father, of God, the father. Mm. I have a good earthly father and I love all the scriptures about our heavenly father. So I'm just very, very grateful. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's amazing. He pursues us and he pursues us and he spoke identity to you. Um, and I know in my life that uh, walking out what God is speaking to me is my identity. It's a it's a longer process. Uh, it doesn't happen uh, overnight. Sometimes, sometimes it really needs to seep in. So, what what's really the the process of your identity uh, work been from the, you know the moment God started to pursue you to today? Um, how has your identity journey been? Yeah, so um, as I said, I think the Lord just really made um, scripture come alive. Mm -hmm. And I remember I would just spend hours a day and um, I would just eat up all the scriptures about the Heavenly Father. For example, um, you know, if you pray in secret, uh, the Father will. Uh, openly reward you. If you pray to the father who's unseen, he yeah. sees 
you and he will reward you. I remember opening up Isaiah and it says, for you're precious and honored in my eyes and I love you. And that, so it was just scripture after scripture. And I remember uh, reading different stories, whether it's King David or uh, or Joshua in the Old Testament and whatever the Lord did for them. I remember I would say to the Lord, I want you to do that for me. And um, now, as I said, the Lord uh, delivered me from bulimia mm-hmm. right away. But um, I also struggled at that time from many years of depression. Mm-hmm. And the Lord did not lift that up. So what I had to do every day was when I wake up, I had to pray. Uh, it was the only way I can get through my day. And then the other thing I would do is I would write different scripture passages and promises mm-hmm. on little pieces of paper, stuff them into my pocket. And as I was walking around the college campus, I would memorize them and I would pray mm. them and I would claim them. Mm. And I remember about three, four years later, um, one day I thought, oh my gosh, I haven't been depressed for a mm. long time. And so that one, the Lord worked through me gradually, you know, mm-hmm. by by every day relying on his presence and, re- and um, claiming his promises, claiming his word. And I think he built tenacity into yeah. me like that. And he taught me to walk with him and rely on him. And um, yeah, he, he built um, that identity into me. Um, there's also another scripture passage that's very obscure in Isaiah and um, and it says, let let no foreigner who has bound himself to me, um, you know, be kept out of my temple. And mm. I know that's very obscure. Yeah. Uh, people don't talk about <laughs> it. But because I grew up in so many countries and because when I lived in Swaziland, um, it was surrounded by South Africa and was yeah. affected by the apartheid. So mm-hmm. I remember walking to school and being chased by a mob of youth mm. um, trying to stone me because I wasn't, wow. I wasn't black, you know? Mm. And so this passage in Isaiah, when I read it, it just healed my heart because wow. the Lord basically says, uh, if you accept me, you are never a foreigner. And I think yeah, established good. my, um, yeah, my identity. So I really, I would say, do not struggle with being an Asian, being a mm-hmm. woman, uh, because the Lord really just proactively healed my heart, mm. um, especially because of the way I grew up in so many yeah. countries. Yeah, uh, that's so good. And it's a lot of work that he has to do uh, in us and through us, and he can do it, and he's faithful, and he's a good father to be able to do that. Um, And, you know, as you started to seek the Lord and then write these promises down, write these scriptures down, find your identity, uh, through that you were able to go go to Taiwan and find find your husband to be able to start and work with, with John. 
And how did uh, you and John meet? And why were you? Uh, why did you say, "Hey, this is this is the guy that God has for me"? Uh, what was it about about him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> yeah, we we met in Taiwan, and uh, John also grew up in many countries. So we mm. have that in common. We're both yeah. Taiwanese. But with um, a global background and a global worldview, um, I would say probably John wasn't naturally the kind of guy I've always dated, you know. Yeah. Uh, but those uh, those relationships never worked out really well for me. Um, but I married John because I just knew and knew. There's no one else who loved me like the way he did. Um, actually, the first thing that drew me to him was I thought this man knows Jesus. He mm. actually uh, knows knows Jesus intimately. Yeah. The second thing is he loved to laugh, um, and I have to say to this day, it's been one of the best thing in our marriage because, as you know, I'm pretty intense. <laughs> uh, but we've been married 26 years, and uh, there's never been anything we've gone through where John is overwhelmed, you know, or he yeah. thinks, oh, no, we can't go through this. I think his ability to laugh and to depend on the Lord and to be just chill has been so good for us and our family. Um, yeah. yeah. So he sets the tone of family. He's just very, he's very relaxed. And, um, and I would say being married to him has been really healing for me mm. um, because of the way I grew up everywhere. He's, um, he's been an anchor. He's stable. Yeah. Uh, he loves me unconditionally. He likes me <laughs> and he enjoys me. <laughs> so uh, it is important. So I, I love being with him. It's mm. been very good. Yeah. And you went to what was going on in, uh, in Hong Kong? Uh, what was that? Like, what were you doing in Hong Kong? Yeah, so we moved to from Taiwan to Hong Kong because um, because John's job he worked mm -hmm. for AMC Theaters, but when we were there, we got involved in Jackie Pullinger's uh, ministry. Um, Jackie Pullinger was a, a gal from um, the UK. She went to Hong Kong as um, you know in her twenties and started reaching out to drug addicts, mm -hmm. uh, gangsters, um, prostitutes, crime bosses, the homeless. And of course, when these people start coming to Christ, they didn't fit in any existing church. Yeah. She did not want to be a church planner, but mm. she had to plant a church. And John and I were part of um, the network of churches that grew out of that ministry. Mm -hmm. And we learned so much. I thought we were mature in ministry <laughs> until uh, we were part of um, what we call St. Stephen's Ministries and uh -huh. the churches that grew out of it. Yeah. These people are the real deal. Yeah. So know? how did that shape you, especially now coming from it as a, an international leader of a missions organization, um, seeing work happen around the world? How did that shape you as a young person doing ministry, seeing 
all these people coming to Christ uh, in this this radical environment? Yeah, so as I said earlier, I personally experienced the Lord setting me free from bulimia. But those years in Hong Kong, um, John and I literally saw so many drug addicts set free by the Lord. Uh, so many people who were addicted to alcohol, um, who were prostitutes, just be set free and deliver and following Jesus. Uh, one of the leaders there uh, who were about our age uh, when we were there, just a really gentle, soft-spoken man. His name is Daniel, and he was a family man. I did not know until later he was one of the very famous crime bosses of, mm. um, of a key gang wow. uh, before this. Um, but then, you know, he came to the Lord. And the thing that amazed me about him and his wife is when they go to the streets and they see a homeless, they don't just buy a hamburger. Mm -hmm. They don't just pray for the homeless. They actually bring the homeless in wow. to their home, bathe them, house them, feed them. And some of them ends up staying with him and his family. And what's remarkable is that at that time he had young kids um, my son's age you know and yet yeah. he was unafraid to mm. bring total strangers um, yeah with dubious background into his home and mm. and house them to house them to bathe them uh, it reminds me of what Jesus says about the least of these what you have done to the least of these you have done to me um, you know, when you've seen me naked, you've clothed me, you've seen me in prison, you've visited me, you know, and people say, you know, when have we done that? So it's what we do to the least of these. Um, and, you know, what does that look That's like uh, for you with the least of these around the world? Uh, yeah. why, what's important about about that? Because, you know, what it, uh, what it tells me, what I feel I personally seen is the power of Jesus to totally transform lives, totally transform lives. He can totally redeem our past. He can totally heal our broken hearts. It doesn't matter what kind of background we're from, whether, um, you know, whether we were a criminal, whether we were a prostitute or whether we were so broken. Uh, Jesus can change us. He can redeem us. He can heal us. That's what it tells me. And mm -hmm. and that's why I'm not really faced by people's background because yeah. Jesus can change us and he can uh, give, you know, he can renew our lives. And that's really important um, because in our nations, we are focused on the least, the last, and the lost. Mm -hmm. And so for us, there's no one too lost that Jesus cannot redeem. The, uh, among the least, you know, whether they've been orphaned, whether they've been abused, uh, that there's no one that is beyond Jesus' um, power to love and to save and uh, to redeem. So. Yeah. That's what we have. It's the treasure um, that we have in us, which is Jesus Christ, that we take to the nations. 
And uh, I'm one of the values that you you have at, at All Nations is that you take a chance on people. Um, where have you seen that play out well? Um, and you know, are there any any times and instances where it turns around and it it, it hurts uh, when we're taking chances on people? <laughs> yeah. So. Um... Yeah, we have taken chances on a lot of people. And I have to say, I think um, some of our most fruitful people are ones uh, with a past. But I, I do think Jesus is right when he says those being, who have been forgiven much, love much. Yeah. And, um, and I think those who have been transformed the most they know the power of Jesus to tra transform lives and they're willing to give their all to take the gospel to the, uh, to the nations. So I've had honestly no regrets. I, I cannot think of anyone um, that we've taken into all nations that I've regretted. Mm -hmm. um, as I said, uh, the ones with sometimes the most checkered past are actually the most fruitful. Um, I do feel like um, because we do a pretty good job with pastoral care mm -hmm. in our nations and coaching, and I think we're constantly putting in pieces to make it better. I feel that's the key. It's uh, to make sure that whoever we, uh, we receive into our nations really get a chance to, uh, you know, to to experience inner healing, to mm -hmm. constantly be on the healing journey, uh, to, to constantly have people who walk alongside of them, um, to grow, um, yeah, to grow in our weaknesses. I'm constantly doing that yeah. um, because I have many weaknesses. And I think as long as we are on that journey to wholeness and there are others coming alongside of us in that journey, I feel that's what makes a difference. Yeah, uh, it makes a, a really big difference. I've seen a lot more fruits when when we started to to coach uh, intentionally, uh, walk alongside mm -hmm. people intentionally. Uh, have you seen that in in your own life? Do you have people that are walking alongside of you, and what is the importance of that, um, and the difference that makes in your life? Yeah, well, first of all, I think that um, my husband, John, um, has really done that for me. And um, yeah, I, I have to say, I think, at least for me, my marriage has been very, very healing. Mm -hmm. But you know how it is, Joshua, when you're in leadership, there are not many people who... Um, you know, who are going to ask you, well, how, how are you doing? Right. So what I've had to do is to intentionally build relationships around me that I can go to uh, for advice, for counsel, um, and who yep. would journey with me. And what I have found is it's not one person. So, for example, if I need advice on parenting, uh, I have a couple of friends that mm -hmm. I would go to. And uh, I build relationships with uh, other women in, in missions uh, who are leaders. So sometimes I would talk to them about leadership issues. 
And then I have just uh, many friends I can call upon to either go for my monthly prayer retreat with or for prayer or for support. So I find I, I have to be intentional. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. yeah, it's important that we, we pursue that. Um, I know in, in times in my life, I've, I've waited in the background uh, to say, hey, who's uh-huh. going to come after me? Um, and a lot of times it was nobody because I didn't pursue the relationships that I needed to pursue. Um, so it's so important that we go after that, especially if people in leadership, to to find those people that are trusted, that we could talk to and talk through issues and that would ask us the hard questions um, and to challenge us uh, on what we're doing and the way that we're leading, how we're living with Jesus, uh, how our relationship with him is doing. Uh, yeah, that's really good and so important. Um, you know, after after Hong Kong, you found yourself uh, in Kansas City. Uh, how did you how did you get to a place where uh, yeah, you started to lead All Nations Kansas City and the hub here? Um, and what was that invitation like? Um, and what was that journey like for you? Well, um John and I, um, we we ended up in the church of Floyd McClung, who started All mm-hmm. Nations, mm-hmm. and he was pastoring a church at that time. And we also ended up in his uh, home group uh, by chance. Uh, so really started building a friendship uh, with Floyd. And I was a young mom at that time, but uh, Floyd would almost stalk me every single home group. You know, I had a baby who was puking over me. I had a shy little toddler. But Floyd would be like, Mary, do you know you have a strong leadership gifting? Mm. Shut up, Floyd, go away. (laughs) You know, but he was relentless. And so um, I would say he really called out my leadership gifting. And, um, and I think it was around 2006 or 2007 when All Nations was going through a lot of uh, transition. Yeah. I just volunteer my time. I'm relatively administrative. So mm-hmm. I decided to um, help them out 10 hours a week doing admin. Mm. And my husband, John, says, don't do that, Mary. You are not a 10 hours a week kind of gal. You either all out or all in. Don't do it. And uh, I did not heed his advice. So if, if there's any young ladies listening to this podcast, uh, don't follow my example. But that's how it all started. So yeah. Um, so I've done everything. I've clean basements i've done bookkeeping i've done the communications the admin Uh, so i would say i'm someone who worked from the ground up Mm. um, and that's how the lord trained me so that's good well yeah you get in that's that's what happens we suck you in and then it's all consuming (laughs) right Uh, that's right (laughs) so all nations all consuming i think you know floyd was probably pretty good at at calling out leadership and calling people and activating people to God's purpose in their lives. Um, and he was really good at doing that for, for women. Um, and Floyd was good at call, really championing 
women in leadership. Um, and, you know, I think that was that's a value that All Nations has uh, yeah. because of Floyd. Uh, what do you see the importance of, of that value of women and men in leadership, of valuing um, every believer um, in, in their gifting that God had called them in? Yes, so I think um, I would love for you and I and other leaders in all nations to continue to have what Floyd had, which is the ability to see the gifting in others, yeah. you know, men and women. Um, yeah, at what, whichever stage in life and to be able to see what is God doing and to call it out. I. Yep. I think it's an incredible ability, um, and I hope it's something that we continue to develop. So I am very, very grateful uh, for Floyd to champion women leadership. I have two sons. I I really believe in raising men yeah. uh, in leadership, so both men and women. And uh, earlier we talked about how all nations takes a chance on people. I think that's Jesus's heart. Yep. Because that's what he did. Um, you know, he called a tax collector and raised him up to be a leader. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he called a fisherman and raised him up to be a leader. He called a, a persecutor, uh, um, Saul, and raised him up to be a leader. So I do believe it's very important we continue to take a chance on people, see their gifting, call it out, and create space for them to rise in leadership. I also feel like another huge value in all nations is we love leaders uh, from diverse backgrounds, you know, mm-hmm. rich or poor, uh, whether it's African or Asian or European or American. Uh, I'm obviously Asian and um, I'm so blessed that Floyd called me into leadership and I hope we continue to do that, yeah. uh, which is calling people from diverse background uh yeah, into their God-given calling and gifting and uh, and leadership roles. Yeah, uh, oftentimes, you know, somebody somebody like Floyd who had uh, he had a, an influential gift. He was he was an influencer, uh, and he was an influential leader. He he founded All Nations along with Sally, his wife, and you know, as somebody who is is now the international leader of an organization uh, that Floyd started. Um, what is it like to to come after uh, an influential leader? And I know, you know, if you're look, reading something like Good to Great with you know Jim Collins, he said a lot of organizations have a hard time moving past their founder. Um, so what has it been like as the next person uh, leading after a founder, what lessons have you learned? Uh, what advice can you give others and other organizations that are going through that uh, to continue the movement and uh, further the movement, make it even stronger? Yeah. Um, you know, I, for some reason, um, was never really intimidated by the fact I had to come after Floyd. 
Yeah. You know, there were other things that were, were hard that had nothing to do <laughs> with Floyd. Let's say organizational changes, growth pains, yep. um, organizationally, um, those things were hard. But I, um, I've been reflecting on this quite a bit. I feel like, um, first of all, he entrusted us with a vision a mission, a mission to uh, to go to the remaining neglected peoples of the earth, to make disciples, to train leaders, and to ignite church planting movements. And so, what I have done is uh, to make sure that we stay focused on our mission, so that mm-hmm. Jesus can be worshipped. And uh, so, I feel like that we inherited from Floyd. And I feel one of my key roles is to make sure we have no uh, mission drift. You know, we don't Mm -hmm. drift into other things. Uh, So it's been wonderful to to come the heels of Floyd with a razor sharp vision and mission. The other thing is, um, you know, Floyd passed away two weeks ago. So there's been uh, many tributes uh, recently given about him, many testimonies. And I think what it's done as we gather together as all nations is, and, you know, when we are sharing and processing our stories about Floyd is what I find is that the values on which he founded all nations bubbles up against again to the surface. Yeah. And I realize the things that we cherish about him are the things that we need to keep in our DNA and our, our values and our culture. And some of them are, for example, um, you know, Floyd is always about Jesus. Yep. You can't have any conversation without him talking about Jesus. When he does public speaking, he starts out by uh, talking about Jesus. Another thing is he always make people feel welcomed. Um, and um, uh, I would say another one is uh, women in leadership. Uh, another one is his ability to call out people's giftings that we talked about. Yep. Uh, all these things are the things that we want to continue to uh, to cherish and make sure that it's uh, it's in our cultures. So, um, so I I think it's an honor to come after him and to mm. be able to help preserve those yeah. values and vision and the mission. Yeah, that's really good. And so you know, if I hear what you're saying is to be, you know, really mission focused, value focused, and value driven. Um, and let those things seep into the DNA so that you can continue to to be rooted in those things and you know exactly where you're going, that you're aligned to uh, what God has called us to do as an organization. Um, you know, as you're, you're somebody that leads uh, an organization that is really multicultural, that is worldwide, it's all over the world, uh, it's, that's not an easy task and an easy job to do. Um, what have you learned uh, in a in a way to to lead multicultural teams um, and multicultural movements that's worldwide? 
Yeah, so again, I think earlier what we talked about in terms of vision, mission, and values is very, very important Mm -hmm. because that's what actually gives us a common identity across the nations, across different cultures. Um, And uh, it's a culture that can span across um, nationalities. I just also want to say another key value Uh, that you and Meredith have experienced your life is Floyd calls us to take risk, to go to the hard places, right? Meredith shares about how uh, Floyd challenged her to go to one of the hardest countries in the world. So I would say that's another core value and core DNA. Um, Another one that I think helps us move forward together as a global family is that uh, we are very, very relational. Yeah. Um, you know, we're not hierarchical. Um, we are into relationship. Um, yeah, we generally like to each other. You know, we may argue, but then you know, we we move on together. And I think that's huge for all nations, and that's huge in a multicultural organization as well. Another thing is. I think our nations has a high value on worship and prayer. Mm-hmm. We love to worship and pray. When COVID happened, we banded together around worship and prayer over Zoom. We banded together around learning together around the word of God. That's another high value for us. We're big, we're high learners. We're constantly innovating, trying new things, how to do things better. And I think that's what, uh, ties us together as a global family from many countries, mm. right? Because yep. if we love to worship and we love to pray to Jesus and we are relational, meaning we're about each other and we have the same vision and mission and values, that's what's going to keep us together through good times and hard times um, mm, as a global good. family. Yeah, that's really good. We, um, you know, in the mission of All Nations, it says that, you know, we train leaders, make disciples to ignite church planning movements among the neglected peoples of the earth. What, why church planning movements? Why disciple making movements? What's the importance there? Why is that part of the mission? Yeah, so All Nations, uh, we are called to go to the remaining unreached or neglected peoples of the earth. And most of these peoples and places are in hard, hard places, high persecution places. And it is uh, very important that uh, we call ordinary people to make disciples of other disciples, to start uh, churches that maybe meet under a tree, maybe in a home, maybe in a coffee shop, maybe in a workplace, that then uh, start other churches. Mm -hmm. And um, it is the only way that the gospel can can really spread among ordinary people because in most parts of the world, the gospel is actually spreading slower than population growth. But with its church planting movements, the the gospel is just outpacing population growth. And we, this, uh, th- these are urgent times. Mm. We don't have time to sit here 
and do the slow thing. You know, we have to reach as many people as we can. And when we rely on professional, educated um, ministers of the gospel, we cannot go fast. But if we can train ordinary people to be disciple makers and leaders and church planners and then to multiply churches and multiply disciples, that's when, um, you know, every man, woman and child has a an opportunity to hear about Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and have their lives transformed, have their families, have their communities transformed by Jesus. Mm. Are there any good examples of this happening uh, around the world that you've seen? Oh, oh yeah, we, we have many. We have so many. Um, when COVID um, happened, uh, we have a European worker um, in, a, in a country in Asia that is high persecution, restricted to the gospel. And she was locked down uh, in a village where there were about eight unreached people groups. Uh, there were not a single uh, follower of Jesus, no believer, no churches in that mm-hmm. area. Um, that little village was so poor that they didn't have their own grocery store. So the locals have to go to another bigger town to get supplies and clothing and food while she's locked down. So she started uh, sharing Jesus, making disciples, planting churches. And I believe within a few months, uh, she started 18 house churches Mm. um, in that village. Actually, yesterday, I just saw a map of where all the churches are. And she helped um, start six businesses, including including a local grocery store. She gathered the the ladies who, uh, who came to the Lord and help them start a mobile textile business. You know, Mm. COVID was spreading rampantly. These ladies started making masks, uh, making clothing for people in the village, uh, bed bed sheets. And, and, you know, her customers would come to her and say, wow, you're doing really well. How come? Mm. And she would share with them about Jesus. Uh, She was the first believer in that village, and she um, and she also started a, a church in her home, and her husband and three sons have since then come to Christ and and gotten baptized. So we see it everywhere, and this yeah. is just a few months ago since yep. COVID happened. Yeah, yeah, that's really exciting that the the gospel can move and the church can can grow even in the midst of of a pandemic uh, yes. and it doesn't, oh, yeah. it doesn't even require, you know, a, a great multimedia team that could live stream a, an event. Um, we could, you could actually do that um, on the grounds with different businesses, uh, different churches, uh, people mm-hmm. coming in and out, uh, even in the midst of something uh, difficult uh, happen. You know, as you have have traveled the world, uh, how does how to do church planning movements, disciple making movements, uh, transform communities uh, 
and cultures? Have you seen a transformation of a community, not just people coming to faith, but then the community around them is is transformed and moved into a more flourishing space? Oh yeah, we, we see that uh, we see that all the time because church planting movements bring about uh, kingdom transformation. And um, so, for example, in Malawi, um, we have a, a young leader. His name is Gibson. And he loved Jesus, was making disciples, planting churches, multiplying churches um, among some unreached people groups, Muslim mm-hmm. unreached people groups. And, uh, but he could not put food on the table. And he could not send his kids to school. And so one of the initiatives that we've started the last three years is to train our local church planners to start kingdom businesses. And these businesses um, are not ones that compete with existing local businesses, but ones that fill a gap. Um, And it fills a gap that no one else is meeting And so, um, so what he did was he went and uh, got a small printer. So we gave him some funds to buy a printer Mm -hmm. and he started a printing business. Then we trained, after we trained him, he moved it to a better location. We can get more clients. And now he has a sizable uh, printing and internet store with many printing machines uh, he teaches like uh, Excel, uh, you know, Microsoft Office. Yeah. This brings in clients and, uh, and then he's able to share them about Jesus. Mm. He since then multiplied other businesses. He has about five businesses and these businesses actually allow him to reach further with the gospel. And um, we have seen about 800 people in that vicinity get trained um, in sustainability, uh, bookkeeping and starting businesses, uh, kingdom stewardship from the Bible. Mm. Uh, So it brings about a change in worldview. It brings about more churches being planted, but also uh, enough income to sow into that community and sustain the families. So children are going to school and um, they're able to put, put food on the table. Wow, that's uh, pretty amazing, especially coming from the fact where you see a lot of movements that are happening in, in Africa are sustained from money from the outside. Uh, so sustainability, planting businesses that then would multiply, um, that could really help movements from the inside, uh, really helps uh, transformation. I know that you know. What if I, when I'm talking about uh, worldview issues, the, you know, culture transformation really happens from the inside out. Um, it's not just about changing surface behavior, but it's about going deep uh, to to have some mind shifts um, and culture shifts on the inside, so that then uh, everything would be able to be affected. Uh, within the community and the and the culture, uh, how how do you see uh, that happening? Can we get into 
shifting worldview, uh, the ways that we see the world and not just behavior? Uh, what are some good ways to be able to do that? That's why I do feel, uh, Joshua, that it is so important what we do in our nations, which is to empower ordinary people to gather around the word of God and discover the word of God for themselves. And you and I both have, uh, you know, a speaking gift, a teaching gift. Yeah. And, um, and there's nothing wrong in hearing uh, great teachings and sermons on Sundays, but the only way we can change worldview is we gather in small groups or in house churches around the word of God and everyone is discovering God's word uh, Mm -hmm. for themselves. And, um, you know, a good friend of yours and a good friend of mine, Kevin Higgins, who started Mm -hmm. um, a large church planting movement. uh, I remember what he said to me. He said, Mary, We trust that the spirit of God will reveal the word of God to the people of God. Mm. So when we're gathering about the word of God, uh, trying to discover it, that's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Mm. He is revealing the word of God to the people of God. And and it's only scripture by the power of Holy Spirit can change people's worldview. And as you and I know, we teach people then to make an I will statement every time to obey God's word. And it is an obeying and walking it out that uh, the worldview shifts because when we obey God's word, Holy Spirit actually works um, Mm. God's word deep into our heart and changes our worldview. So Mm. I I firmly believe in, uh, in what we do because yeah. that's actually how worldview sh- changes. And then another thing we're big into is we hold each other accountable, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we ask each other, well, h- how has it been going? Your I will statement. Um, we provide our workers with coaches who hold them accountable. And it's really in that journeying together in yeah. obedience to God's word that um, our worldview gets changed because when we are alone, sometimes, you know, we give up and we yep. get discouraged. Yeah, that's so. so good. And I see, you know, more and more people are working together. What are some of the, the things, what's something that's really given you hope in the world missions movement at the moment? Um, I, I think one of the things is... I really believe we're living in a time of radical collaboration. I think maybe in the old days, um, there were some larger mission entities that were more self-sufficient. Yeah. But we're really living in a time, first of all, I think about 80% of the world's church is in the global south in non-Western countries. And uh, about 70% of the global mission force is also from the global South, uh, from non-Western countries. So we're living in a time that God is um, creating what I call a missions traffic jam, where he is mobilizing workers from everywhere to everywhere. And Mm -hmm. we're doing this in the nations. And it requires 
uh, radical collaboration. Mm. And there's, uh, we're no longer living in a time when a few big entities can do it on their own. We need yep. to come together and we need to come together with churches and brothers and sisters and entities from the global South and from the West. Um, the wonderful thing about a lot of Western organizations is that they have more experience, you know, mm -hmm. um, they have, yeah, they have more experience. Um, so we all need to come together and collaborate. And that, that to me is very, very exciting. It's very exciting that, um, that God is doing tremendous things um, in the global South. Uh, for example, uh, the church is really growing the fastest in Africa and Latin America. Yeah. And to me, that's very, very exciting. Mm -hmm. And we need to come alongside of our African leaders, our Latino brothers and sisters and collaborate and partner together. Yeah. And that collaboration is so important. And I think for us, you know, I'm speaking to myself as, as a, a Western leader that I need to not just come alongside, but I need to to be dependent on uh, people from the global south to learn from, to to be humble enough to say, hey, what don't I know? Um, can you come and teach me? And I think when we come as as a learner to any collaboration, um, I think we could go further. Um, that's really, really great. Uh, there's just a couple of questions uh, I'd like to ask at the end. Um, and so one is, Mary, if you could give advice to your 21-year-old self, what advice would you give? Wow. Now, I did not see that question coming. <laughs> um, when I was uh, 21, I... I really pursued living single for the Lord. Hmm. Um, and of course, I did not end up leading a celibate lifestyle, got married. But I would say that was really, really helpful um, in helping me have a dependent relationship on the Lord. Um, so that's not quite advice to myself, but I think uh, I would... I would advise young people to really live single-heartedly and wholeheartedly for the Lord. Um, I, I wish I pursued, um, I think, inner healing um, mm -hmm. and counseling um, mm -hmm. earlier than I did um, because I do feel like for us to be uh, leaders who finish well at the end of our lives, uh, we need to deal with uh, our own brokenness, our own weaknesses, and um, anything that's hidden within yeah. us. And um, and so I I wish I did that uh, younger and earlier. Um, yeah, I, I really, I really yeah. do. So, yeah. Yeah, that's important uh, that we, we do those things uh, for the health of us and for the health of the people around us. Um, is there anything that you've been reading or watching lately that you could recommend? Yeah, um, 
I hope I don't misquote the title. I don't have the book in front of me. Um, but it's reading scripture uh, through non-Western eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, that book has just been just incredible. Um, the authors, they highlight um nine values that Westerners tend to read the scripture through. And um, it's just very, it's, it's been very, very eye opening. And um, yeah. So I would say that's a must read. Yeah, that's, that's great. I think if we could, if we could start to, to look at things from, from different viewpoints, um, you know, our normal, uh, is is what we we think is is normal, right? We think whatever we the way that we view the world, the way that we look at things, we think that that's normal. Everything else is abnormal. Um, so to be able to like cut away our assumptions and cut away um, our view of the world and recognize that there are other viewpoints that we need to look at things from to get a holistic view is really important. Um, I think that's that's a great recommendation. Um, so yeah, another one is um, it's it's called the gift um, the gift of being yourself by um, David Benner, and it's a spiritual mm-hmm. direction book, and um, it's really about um, the journey to self knowledge, true self knowledge and self-acceptance. And if you have true self-knowledge, then you can really have an authentic relationship with God. But Mm -hmm. the only way to true self-knowledge is also through our relationship with God. And again, I think if I had to speak to my 21-year-old self, I would say, um, do not run away from who you are. Do not run Mm -hmm. away from uh, your own brokenness. Do not um, do not live in an idealized self image, but really bring who we are, including uh, you know the dark side of us, uh, to the Lord and let Him redeem it. Um, mm. So that's what I would uh, advise a twenty one self. Um, yeah, because I think that's what allows us to to finish well yeah. as leaders. Yeah. Well. Thank you, Mary. It was a great conversation. I I really enjoyed it. So thank you. I did too, Joshua. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Uh, Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, It really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you.
again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.